Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. Once you understand that like all the enzyme systems of the body are actually estrogen modulated and all of the hormones have a relationship to estrogen. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health-conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, on to the show. Okay, ladies, if you're of childbearing age or you see women of childbearing age in your practice, then this message is for you. A growing number of informed health professionals agree that full circle prenatal is now their go-to recommendation for both expectant mothers or anyone thinking about getting pregnant. Like this practitioner says, Ayla, a mom, highly trained integrative dietitian nutritionist and the creator of full circle prenatal, has really done her research to create a product that outshines the others on the market. From the meticulous sourcing, third-party testing, high-quality forms of each nutrient used, and the precise dosing of ingredients that reflect the latest research, Full Circle Prenatal is truly the best I've ever seen. And I couldn't agree more. Full Circle Prenatal really does outshine other prenatal products on the market by being bold enough to give you the actual amount of highly absorbable nutrients you need when other companies undercut critical nutrients like magnesium, choline, calcium, and vitamin D to save space. It's easy on the stomach and can be opened up to put into drinks or smoothies for anyone that cannot tolerate capsules. If you've been looking for the perfect prenatal, try sharing this one, Full Circle Prenatal, with your friends and clients. Health professionals can learn more about wholesale and affiliate options at fullcircleprenatal.com. And you can use the code LESSSTRESSED to get 15% off your order at fullcircleprenatal.com. For all discount codes and special links mentioned in any episode, you can always find those in one place at kristabigler.com forward slash shop. Okay, today on The Less Stress Life, we have a Dr. Felice Gersh, who is really one of the few in the world that is double certified in both OBGYN and the newer specialty that is integrative medicine. She came out with her first book a year ago called PCOS SOS, and it's an Amazon bestseller. Just recently, she came out with a workbook for PCOS called PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track, the 12-week plan to optimize your chances of a successful pregnancy and a healthy baby. She graduated as a top female student and was invited to join Alpha Omega after going to school at the University of Arizona School of Medicine. 
She also received her undergrad degree from Princeton University and her medical degree from USC School of Medicine. She has also taught for over a dozen years as a clinical assistant professor of OBGYN and has been the recipient of numerous awards and is a renowned national and international lecturer. In fact, follow her on Instagram and she must have... I wonder about her jet lag. We're going to talk about jet lag in different ways later, but she has been traveling all over the world talking about this as of recent. She serves on several medical advisory boards for the medical industry and for nonprofits and is a sought-after forensic medical expert. She works alongside her team of lifestyle and holistic practitioners at the Integrative Medical Group of Irvine, where she is the medical director. Welcome, Dr. Gersh. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to join you here today. Yeah. So I met Dr. Felice. She was lecturing at the hormone test company. I use this hormone test called Dutch Test, and she was lecturing at their fest. And it really was a fest because it was 13-hour days of lectures. Um, but I just, <laughs> there was something that caught me. She's just a very lively burst of energy <laughs> um, talking about things. And she said some things. We're going to talk later about estrogen. And estrogen likes to get a bad rap. And she's over here saying it's the best thing ever. So that was kind of what really, really sparked my interest. But she has quite a bit of interest in PCOS. Actually, let's talk about before we even get into it. There's a lot of health professionals that listen to this. And I think everyone just sort of loves the story a little bit too. So tell us a little bit about how you have this new board specialty, right? I don't know how long the integrative medicine board specialty has been an option. What made you pursue that? What was happening in practice that made you decide you wanted to expand how you were seeing your clients? Well, I knew way back when, when I started my practice a few decades ago, that there was more to helping women to optimize their health than just prescriptions and surgery. But I myself had no special training beyond the conventional. In my office, though, I had from the very beginning a Chinese medicine practitioner, a nutritionist, a psychologist, biofeedback, massage therapy, but I would refer to them. Then, a dozen years ago, I stopped doing obstetrics after delivering thousands of babies. But talk about circadian rhythm dysfunction. Yes, then I was up many, many nights in a week with phone calls and running to the hospital, and I just had to stop for my own health. So after that, I probably had more sleep, a little bit more free time, and I realized that my therapeutic toolbox was so limited. I was great at doing surgery. I taught surgery. I, I was an assistant clinical professor at USC teaching residents how to do surgery. But this is like dealing with end-stage disease. I want to do something more proactive. And I myself didn't have the tools. So I went on my own journey. I started taking courses with naturopathic doctors and chiropractors. And I took whatever functional medicine classes that I was able to find. And then I was at a course in Portland, Oregon. And I was there with Dr. Lodog, who was speaking, and I went up to her and I said, Dr. Lodog, we're the only two MDs. Everyone else here is a naturopath, and I'm so lost. And she said, well, talking to you, I know you're qualified. Why don't you do the fellowship in integrative medicine at the University of Arizona? And in fact, we have our new session starting in just two weeks. So I went home, I filled out the application, and two weeks later, I was in Tucson, and that was way back in 2010, I completed the fellowship in 2012. And then I was in the very, very first wave of people who then were able to take what was a brand new test for a brand new board certified specialty integrative medicine. And I've never looked back. I've only looked forward. And now I am trying to help spread the news about how we can help women and of course, men to have more tools and more ability to have the wonderful lives that they deserve to have in a very challenging world that we now live in with, uh, you know, constant barrages against our health with the food and the light and the, the stressors and so on. So it's a job and we're all teammates here trying to help people all over the world now 
to optimize their health. I love that you mentioned to give husbands that. Well, I don't know how you exact said it, but it was really sweet. I think it was uh, that, you know, the woman that they deserve, essentially. You know, you want mm-hmm. hormone disruption is such a buzzword, really. And so let's dig into that a little bit. You have written extensively about PCOS and about helping women achieve good pregnancies and fertility. And we've talked about PCOS here before. So there's essentially for diagnosis, it's two of three symptoms, a regular period hair growth through the center of the body and ovarian cyst undeveloped follicles. What do you want to add to that? Well, just where you started, I want to take off from that is that PCOS is a natural phenomenon. Okay, so everyone has their own genetics. We know there's so much research now into looking at SNPs, the single nucleotide polymorphisms. And so we're all variations on a theme. Well, women with natural PCOS, the type that existed, say, 20,000 years ago, they had this mild defect in converting testosterone into estradiol in their ovaries. Their FSH was maybe slightly lower. Their enzyme aromatase that converts the testosterone to the estradiol was not quite as functional. But because of that, they had maybe slightly higher testosterone levels and they had maybe slightly reduced fertility, but they were still fertile. Instead of having maybe eight or 10 children, they had four or five. And they were really powerful women. They were like the leaders of their society. And they've done studies of women with the mild version of PCOS. Many of them are really filling the ranks of the Olympic champions. So there's maybe a little advantage to having that little extra testosterone. But now what has happened is our modern society has taken was what was really just a mild human variation and turned it into a metabolic disease, a syndrome that has affected millions of women worldwide. That's why I have to travel the world because it's really a worldwide epidemic. And why is this little condition becoming this massive epidemic? It's because of endocrine disruptors, as you mentioned. The one that's the most researched is bisphenol A, but of course, I'm sure many other endocrine disruptors are participating in this problem. And they're altering the way that the receptors for estrogen are developing in utero. You you only get one chance to make a perfect human being and you don't get a redo. You can't say, let's do that over again. Mm -hmm. And you can't. And so you have to create the perfect endocrine system. You have to have the receptors working properly. And women with PCOS, their estrogen receptors, and it's probably way beyond just estrogen. It probably involves to some degree testosterone. There's been research on melatonin that they don't work properly. And so essentially you make estrogen a little bit less. And then that's also exaggerated because of our lifestyles and our inflammation and so on that is driving more testosterone production. And then you can't receive it properly. So women with PCOS are living in a body that is essentially estrogen deficient. Now they have estrogen, they're not zero estrogen, but they're estrogen deficient. And that is really a key takeaway because so many people have the exact opposite thinking about PCOS. They think that it's too much estrogen when it's really too little estrogen being produced and being received. Now that of course doesn't talk about the other issues like what you mentioned, like the Dutch test where you talk about how estrogen is metabolized. And that's really another whole story that could be talked about today or another day. But it's really, I'm talking about estrogen production and estrogen reception, you know, with the estrogen receiving devices in every cell not working properly. So that's a big deal. And then when you add into it, our diets where we're eating processed food and high sugar foods, and we're eating 
food around the clock, you know, so I'm very big on time restricted eating and using fasting in different ways. And so our lifestyles are so conducive to inflammation, which women with PCOS have chronic levels of inflammation, and estrogen is the modulator of inflammation, so they don't modulate inflammation properly. So it's a complex metabolic condition that affects basically every organ system in the female body, and of course, it's manifesting with fertility problems, but that's like the tip of the iceberg of what's really going on in these complex women. And it takes a long time. I mean, a lot of women don't get a diagnosis when they really start to feel symptomatic. It actually takes quite a while to get that diagnosis, right? You know, that's true. And there have been studies published saying that women may go to half a dozen or even a dozen different doctors before they get the diagnosis. And I just scratch my head and roll my eyes and I say, why is this happening? Because it's just crazy. It's because it's like the old, you know, saying about the elephant, if you only feel the trunk or you only feel the tail, you don't get a picture of the whole creature. And I think that women go to different doctors and they just look at one aspect of the PCOS syndrome. And so they're not putting all the pieces together and they're not seeing the total woman because really it's a complex condition. But figuring out that women have it really shouldn't be as complicated as it's sort of being made to be. But it is what it is. It really and legitimately, it takes women many, many visits to many doctors before they get the diagnosis. And then you think, well, wow, at least they got the diagnosis. Now we can make some progress. But the reality is that most doctors are still using the same treatments, which do not address the underlying problems and may exacerbate the underlying problems that were being used a dozen years ago, or more like 20 something years ago. What's an example of that? Oral contraceptives. Mm. So it's so crazy. That is like the mainstay of treatment. Now, Oral contraceptives were invented like 60, 70 years ago for the purpose of preventing pregnancy, which they do quite effectively. And they do it by basically dismantling the female hormonal system, you know, and that is a problem because, and that's where there's so much confusion. I, I call it the set of evil twins because there's real estrogen made in the female body in the ovaries called estradiol. And then there's the pretend estrogen called ethanol estradiol that's in oral contraceptives, and it's modified, and it's taken orally. And most people know that birth control pills actually increase metabolic problems, which is why you would never give a woman who just had a heart attack, well, now we're going to put you on birth control pills because they're so good for you. Or, well, you are a heavy smoker and you're 40, we're going to give you birth control pills. They would say, no, of course not. That's contraindicated. Well, it should be contraindicated for women with PCOS mm -hmm. because they also have a high risk metabolic situation. Women with PCOS have hypercoagulability. They're more prone to making blood clots. And women on birth control pills are more prone to making blood clots. That's because they don't have real estrogen. I mean, it's so important. That's the evil twin thing is that ethanol estradiol taken orally has very different effects than real estradiol. And that's why birth control pills increase blood clots and natural estrogen reduces blood clots. And Real estrogen modulates inflammation and oral contraceptives increase inflammation, like they elevate HSCRP, high sensitivity C-reactive protein, whereas real estradiol decreases it. So it has like many of the exact opposite effects. So women with PCOS who are more prone to diabetes, blood clots, hypertension, all of those things are exacerbated by birth control pills. 
they should be in the group called high risk and not prescribe birth control pills because you're increasing all these risks. And there are published articles exactly detailing what I just said, and yet they're ignored. It's so crazy because birth control pills increase metabolic problems. They don't reduce them. And women with PCOS have serious metabolic problems. We need to get to the root cause and we need to, obviously, I can't go back and change what happened in utero, but there's so much that can be done to modify all of this and really dramatically improve their metabolic state. So much passion oozing out of that statement. So <laughs> let's talk about, you say that people with PCOS, we'll kind of come back and summarize estrogen a little bit more, all of its awesome, all of its amazing benefits. But you mentioned that PCOS women and menopausal women live a life of jet lag. Why is that? What's happening? Why is it manifesting as that chronic fatigue? Well, it turns out that estrogen is really the master of metabolic homeostasis. So it's really regulating all metabolic processes in the body. And one of the things that has been just discovered in the last 20 years or so is the importance of rhythm in the body. So we are all time creatures, it turns out. And the master of our timekeeping is the master clock that's in what's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And this is a group of neurons that sit atop the optic nerve in the hypothalamus in the brain. And there are special receptors in the eye that actually transmit signals of light, if you receive light through your eye, directly to the master clock so that it sets it. So every morning, that's why it's so important to get bright light every morning because that sets your master clock to tell your body what time it is. And then the master clock in turn is like the conductor of the body of all the organ systems. So if you've ever wondered like, how is it that the different organs in the body like work in synchrony? It's all through these master, master clock and the communication through the clock genes that are in all the different organs. They all work in this beautiful, to create a symphony of beautiful music so that the body works together in harmony. Well, if you have inadequate amounts of estrogen, your master clock simply won't work properly. It turns out that estrogen, estradiol, is very key to maintaining the health and function of the master clock. So women with estrogen deficiency women in menopause, women with PCOS, what happens is the word they use is drift. So the master clock is like just off a little bit. It's kind of like the conductor is just a little drunk or a little woozy, right? So it doesn't quite keep the time properly. So there are so many things that we can do to try to help the master clock to get back on time, you know, to get what we call entrained. And bright light is very amazing in that if you have bright light during the morning and midday, and then you watch the sunset, the colors of the sunset seem to also help with getting the body back on time, starts to lower the cortisol and then elevate the melatonin in preparation for going to bed at night. And then sleeping in a very, very dark room, like I sleep with a sleep mask, that will also really help. So you want bright light in the day and really dark, dark, dark at night. And we live in a world where people live in boxes, right? And they have the same like artificial light 24 hours a day. And I know patients and I keep trying to get them to stop. And many of them will when I explain why it's so important. They go to bed with the television on in their bedroom and the blue light from the television is playing all night long because 
they feel lonely a lot of times when people live alone and it makes it feel like they have company. So I say, you know what, if you need to have that sound in the background, use a radio, <laughs> please turn off the lights and or they have night lights because they get up at night to go to the bathroom. And then I say you can get a red light that has a motion detector so that it will only go on when you actually need it and so on. So we need to work with light. The other thing that is also newly discovered is that the master clock also has some degree of sensing for nutrition, for nutrients. So how you eat in terms of the timing of your eating can also help to entrain your master clock so it keeps all your organs working in synchrony. And of course, the master of metabolic function in the body is the liver. And when the liver clocks go off beat, which happens not just when you have light problems or like when you don't have proper light in the day and you have don't have proper darkness at night or you have estrogen deficiency, what happens as well is when you have inflammation in the gut and you have leaky gut because you have impaired gut barrier function and you have the production of lipopolysaccharides, also known as endotoxins, that are being produced by the gut bacteria that are inappropriate, you get even more dysfunction in the liver. And this is what's happening in women with PCOS and many other people. I look at PCOS as sort of the poster child for metabolic dysfunction that has been produced by our modern world. But many, many people who don't actually have PCOS, but they have many elements of this metabolic dysfunction that women with PCOS have. So my advice for women with PCOS is really applicable across the board for mm -hmm. everyone at every stage of life. That's the beauty of lifestyle medicine is that it's not really unique to one set of persons. It's just that this is like the perfect poster child of problems that have been put together through our toxic world and that we can address with lifestyle medicine. But it really, all the advice is applicable across the board. And when the poor liver gets off the beat because of inappropriate functioning of the master clock or dysfunction in the gut, then you have uncontrolled gluconeogenesis. You start spewing out sugar without any rationale from the liver, and you get all this sugar being produced and also fats, triglycerides. So you get all this fat being produced, and then you get lipotoxicity. You get all this fat, which is so inflamed, and this is really happening. That's why we have an epidemic of fatty liver. Women with PCOS have very high rates of fatty liver, but so do women in menopause, but so does the whole society. Mm -hmm. So all of this is a sign when people have fatty liver, which is really now only detected through ultrasound or if you have really abnormal liver enzymes, that's a later stage find of it, then you know that you have a time problem. You know that your gut is abnormal and you know that you're being subject to this uncontrolled production of sugars and fat from your liver, which is going to really create metabolic chaos. And when you have high levels of sugar being produced from the liver, you're going to have high amounts of insulin produced by the pancreas. And then, of course, you're going to get obesity, right? Because insulin is the driver of fat production and fat storage. And you cannot multitask and you cannot make fat, store fat and burn fat at the same time. So that's where we have got to like break this entire chain. And so it starts with getting proper sleep and eating at the proper time, reducing endocrine disruptors, and of course, working on stress because stress is sort of an underlying sort of theme in basically everything that's happening in our lives today. Mm -hmm. So to improve energy and just how we feel off the bat, people can get up and look at the sun in the morning to improve circadian rhythm. And I will say that 
people will say next, but it's dark here or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. I always recommend going to look at the sun if you can. But if you're in a city where you really can't see it, then you can get a full spectrum light online. And people say, this has changed my life a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's one thing that anyone can do to improve energy. And then I'm going to go back, you know, you're talking about PCOS being this poster child of metabolic syndrome. But we're talking about what causes it and where it comes from. So we talked about diet, which is a big topic, right? So we can improve diet overall, which is going to have to do also with blood sugar and liver, etc. So we'll come back to that in a moment. Environment. You talked about this earlier in the biggest way with endocrine disruptors being BPA or plastics that we're trying to take out of our life. But getting plastics out of your life is one of the first things Mm -hmm. to consider if you feel like hormones are imbalanced. And so you talk about that really influencing estrogen receptors, which is at the root of what's going on with metabolic issues like PCOS. And then you talk about genetics. Sometimes you have a genetic thing. And the other piece is that PCOS is something that you might be set up with at birth for different reasons. So can you talk a little bit more to specific genetics? And I'd love to talk a little bit more about liver too, but talk about specifically, are there some some specific genetic SNPs that you see from parents that result in these metabolic dysfunctions beyond PCOS or even just suboptimal blood sugar, which can feel like hanger? Well, that has been an ongoing search for looking for the genetic thread that ties all of the PCOS women together. And mm-hmm. that there's been a few things here and there, SNPs, but there is no universal aha moment yet. Not yet. So it's still being investigated. And it's probably not going to be just one. I think it's going to be a variety. And it's a syndrome. And we know that it has very different degrees of manifestation in different women. Mm -hmm. So there's still definitely known that there's a genetic composition to this. We know that if you have a mother with PCOS, your chance of developing PCOS is at least 50%. And what's interesting is for women who have PCOS and their moms say, but I'm fine. I had no fertility problems. I don't have anything wrong with me. Even then, even though the mom wasn't diagnosed with PCOS, she has at least a 60% higher risk of developing diabetes than the average population. So even women who think they don't have PCOS, but their daughter does, they have a significantly higher risk of developing diabetes. So there's still something there that they just haven't recognized yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a client with PCOS right before I got on the phone with you. And we were talking about her medical history and her dad had type one diabetes. She doesn't really feel like her mom has stuff going on, right? But she said, mom, dad has type one, but you get genetics from both parents. But as a child, how early do you think you can detect these metabolic dysfunctions? Can you see these as early as a before a girl starts her period? What does that look like? Yes. And that's one of my missions is to educate pediatricians because they're pretty much in the dark about this. But yes, because so much is already set both, you know, in utero and by the genetics, and then we compound it with the diet that children are eating and the lifestyle and so forth. You can actually predict that a girl is going to develop PCOS about age six or seven. Now, it could even be earlier if you're just astute and you're looking at her body fat and her body development and so on. Because what's been found is that women who develop PCOS, when they go back and they think about their childhood, often they had like the baby fat that just never went away. So they have this little like little bit of a pudgy belly. It's not universal, but that's more common. But there's a hormone that's made by fat tissue. It's an adipokine. It's called adiponectin. And this particular hormone that's made by fat tissue promotes fat burning. So it's like a driver of metabolic fire. And 
in women with PCOS, it tends to be low. You want a, a nice high level of adiponectin so that makes you metabolically really functional and you're able to burn fat. But, and of course, burning fat gives you energy, like you mentioned, you want to have energy. So young girls, if you measure their adiponectin at like age seven, it would be subnormally low. And that is like not being done. I can tell you this is not like a routine lab. Most pediatricians have never even heard of this. But it would be great to spread the word that in women who have PCOS or they have a family tendency, it would be great. What's the big deal? Look at the children. Look at the little girls and say, look, do they tend to have like more belly fat than the average girl? You know, let's watch their diet. You know, every child should be eating real food and avoiding chemicals and processed foods. And so that's like universal. But girls who are tending towards PCOS, my goodness, you have to be even more strict because you really, really want to prevent this. That's why I went into this field of integrative medicine. I wanted to be proactive. I didn't want to just do surgery to remove diseased organs. I want to keep organs in women and functioning properly. So we have to start with childhood. You know, we talk about osteoporosis when women are 70. Please, we build our bones in our late teens and in our 20s. This is a topic for a much earlier time. And that's the same thing with metabolic health. You really want to start in childhood. So I'm so glad you brought this up. So adiponectin is where the most research has been. A low adiponectin at age seven is highly predictive of developing PCOS. Which is a big topic because we're also learning how to accept ourselves then, right? And we want to have good body image at that time. And so it's kind of, I mean, we have to, have to go about it in a good, in a positive, in a gentle way, I guess. I feel like that's a whole other topic that could be kind of fun. But like, how do you help children thrive, right? It's all about feeling your best. And they do want to feel their best, right? I mean, they see it on themselves at a young age. And so we just want to make it a really positive experience. Absolutely. I talk about even in my practice with my teen patients, my older patients, that's why I don't promote myself as a weight loss clinic, mm. because it's not about weight loss. It's about health and about optimizing energy production and vitality. And you know what I say? The weight loss will come along for the ride. And that's the same thing with children. If you emphasize not, oh my gosh, get on the scale all the time. You talk about body composition. We want you to be muscular. We want you to be strong. We want you to have energy and vitality. And then you don't create these poor body images, which, you know, create eating disorders. That's the last thing we want to create is a bunch of, you know, women who have poor self-image and eating disorders. So I'm glad you brought that up. Mm -hmm. So we have talked a bit about PCOS and what we really are seeing. I mean, it looks like irregular period. It looks like hair growth through the center of the body. What we think is happening or we know what was happening here is usually elevated testosterone and that's not really converting into estrogen. So I want to talk about that. But in PCOS, some of the things that people are really bothered by is acne. Now, testosterone acne often presents along the jawline and estrogenic acne often presents on the chin or the cheeks or it's cystic. For one, do you agree with that? And is it possible to have both? You had said TCOS is really estrogen deficiency, but often we think about the symptoms feeling like estrogen dominance, and I think they can mimic each other. Can we talk about testosterone, estrogen in TCOS, the acne that comes along with it, et cetera, stuff like that? Sure. So the skin is definitely the outward manifestation of what's going on internally. We know that primitive societies that ate real food with very high fiber content, acne didn't exist. Acne is a disease of modern society and is really reflecting a lot of gut dysbiosis, a lot of inflammation going on in the body. What's really interesting 
is that when they've done biopsies of the skin of women with PCOS, so they take a biopsy of an area of skin that looks totally normal. At that moment, it's not with any kind of acne, and it's different. So there's something going on, and it has different fatty acids. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the fatty acids act as anti-inflammatory agents. So the sebum that contains these fatty acids of women with PCOS is actually different in their skin. And we need to have so much more research on this. And that's where I think that we can actually do a lot of good for women who have this type of acne, this inflammatory acne, by giving them the anti-inflammatory fatty acids like omega-3. Because a lot of people are eating an imbalance of their fatty acids. And so it really gets down to what's going on in the skin. The skin is protective of invading bacteria. And the, the microbiome of the skin of women with PCOS is different. Now, why is all of this happening? Of course, it goes back, you like peeling the layers of the onion. So in terms of the hormones, of course, the hormones are going to be very instrumental in how the skin develops, the microbiome of the skin and the fatty acids on the skin. So most of the research has been done really with testosterone, you know, in terms of the estrogen, because we know that testosterone is really high in women with PCOS, but also there's a small group, about 13% of women with PCOS, who have very high levels of DHEA sulfate, which is an adrenal androgen. And this is like a, maybe a whole different subset of women with PCOS, and they tend to have the most aggressive and recalcitrant acne. And so it's very driven by this very potent androgen from the adrenal gland. But in terms of estrogen, we know that women with PCOS don't produce estrogen as well or receive it, but because they have a lot of gut problems. Mm -hmm. So now there have been published articles showing that women with PCOS have a dysbiotic gut microbiome. And that's where the whole estrabolome exists. That's right. the microbiome that breaks down and helps to detoxify, or the real word is biotransformation, because the estrogen is not toxic, but you know, that's the words that we use. So it's really biotransformation, and it's altering estrogen to different compounds. Well, it turns out that women with PCOS, they don't have a normal estrabolome, so their estrogen metabolites are going to be off. And that's what can give sometimes some of the feelings that, that people are attributing to estrogen dominance. If yes. they're not making, it's really trying to understand what's happening. They don't make estrogen more, but their metabolites may not be right. appropriate and they may not eliminate it properly. And one of the very major, and there's been quite a bit of published research on an estrogen metabolite called 2-methoxyestradiol. And this particular estrogen metabolite actually has its own set of receptors because it's so important and it's really key to burning fat and creating energy. And they've shown this in the brain and in the heart. So women who don't have enough estradiol, they're not going to make this very key metabolite of estradiol properly. So they're going to make energy more poorly just from that alone as well. And they will not function as well. They'll have more fatigue, like you mentioned. They just don't make energy as well. So their mitochondria, mitochondria are really the powerhouses of the cell of the body to make energy. And women with PCOS and also women in menopause do not have properly functioning mitochondria because they don't have the estradiol that they need because there are estradiol receptors and function all over the mitochondria and this other metabolite. 2-methoxyestradiol. They don't make that enough either, but they have some of these other toxic metabolites that can actually be carcinogens. And now, you know, there's data showing that women, for example, with breast cancer have an altered estrabolome. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So we know that how estrogen is metabolized is also key to health. And that's where we come back to eating the right foods and eating at the right time and working to get a healthy liver, you know, and on all of this. And it can seem overwhelming, I realize, but by taking it apart step by step, it really is something that can be mastered and we can really achieve metabolic homeostasis in virtually everyone. Yeah, I would echo this. I think that inflammatory acne that I feel like presents a lot on the back really is rooted in gut imbalances, microbiome imbalances. And that's where I see estrogen. And that's a good point because so often I think in the big picture, we think of estrogen as just estrogen and it's not basic. Estrogen isn't basic. Even if you have a low or deficient amount of estrogen overall, the estrogen you do have could be going down the wrong pathway and still causing some possible symptoms of certain types of acne, of certain types of period symptoms if you're having a period on PCOS, et cetera. So I see what you mean by that. So we're talking about PCOS and its hallmark is sort of elevated testosterone, which in the big picture, again, think of a man's hormone, but in women, it's protective. It's kind of our maintenance man, right? It repairs tissues. Now, excessive testosterone is going to cause these symptoms. What I see in practice is people being put on spironolactone, either for acne or for presumed high testosterone. So let's talk about that. What's happening in the body when people go on this medication? And so the trickiest thing I think that I see in practice around PCOS is people coming in with high doses of spironolactone to try to manage acne, and then they try to come down off of it, and they have a lot of rebound. So what do you have to say about like conventional treatment options for PCOS versus kind of moving into different options? Well, once we recognize that PCOS has existed for you know thousands of years, and it didn't manifest the way it does today, if we can get to the root cause of inflammation by calming down the gut, getting the gut to not have impaired gut barrier, then you're going to dramatically lower testosterone. So let me start a little bit like you started with spironolactone. So no one knows exactly how spironolactone works. Spironolactone was first on the scene as a what's called a potassium-sparing diuretic. So it was like a water pill. It helps you to eliminate excessive fluid in your body. And unlike some diuretics like hydrochlorothiazide, it doesn't cause you to urinate out potassium. It actually holds potassium in the body. And that's why it should actually be monitored because occasionally people can get too high a level of potassium when they're on this drug. Mm. So it was just found by accident that it seemed to reduce facial hair. And it's also used for alopecia. That's where women lose a lot of hair they have very thinning hair. It's not like a big shedding of hair. They just, over time, they lose hair and it grows back as finer and finer hair. And then eventually the hair follicle closes over. And that's called androgenic alopecia, which happens in about half of all women as they age. And that's when women, if you see elderly women, they just seem to have really fine and thin hair and you see a lot of scalp. But that also happens at an accelerated rate in very large percentages of women with PCOS. And so spironolactone seems to block the testosterone receptor in the skin, but we don't know, maybe elsewhere. We don't really know what the heck it's doing, but we do know that it's a very potent teratogen, meaning that if a woman is on this drug, spironolactone, and she gets pregnant, it can cause major birth anomalies, birth defects in a baby. And that always worries me. Any drug that you know can cause massive birth defects. It just bothers me that we're giving it to young reproductive aged women, teenagers, women in their 20s, 30s, because what is it doing? You know, any drug that can cause massive birth defects, it's really altering 
the DNA function of the baby in utero, the fetus. I don't feel very comfortable with that because, you know, we don't know so much about what we're doing. We don't even really, like I mentioned, the exact mechanism. So I try to use alternative natural ways to lower testosterone. There was a study out of Israel, which is just a landmark study, but nobody talks about it much. They took women with PCOS who had high testosterone. They had them eat two-thirds of their calories for breakfast and one-third for lunch, and like a late lunch, and that leaves like nothing, but they had like a few bites, like less than 100 calories for an early dinner. In one month, their testosterone level fell by at least 50%. Their insulin level fell by 52%. So insulin dropped. So therefore, their blood sugar is being better maintained. They have more glucose regulation, and they can start burning fat and losing weight. Because when you have chronically high insulin, you can't lose weight, which is 80% of women with PCOS have weight problems. So just by lowering testosterone level dramatically, and what else? When you get healthy gut, when you repair the gut, you lower inflammation. It turns out when you have chronically high inflammation, that causes insulin resistance. When you have high insulin resistance, you then produce high levels of a growth factor called IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1. When you have high IGF-1, that triggers high production of testosterone. So you're producing more testosterone when you have systemic inflammation because you have gut dysbiosis, because you have this inflamed gut and you have the wrong bacteria. So you can dramatically lower testosterone just by time-restrictive eating and by eating high-fiber foods, by eating healthy fats and working on stress. And you can lower the inflammation of the body, dramatically lower IGF-1 levels, and then you can dramatically lower testosterone. Now, we're also going to be trying to start some studies, and so that would be wonderful to have published data to show that by doing various forms of fasting that we can lower testosterone. Because my hypothesis would be that you, and this is what I'm seeing in practice, but like I said, we don't have published data on this, is that if we took women with PCOS and we had them eat most of their food for breakfast, at least in the first half of the day, it turns out, and there's much published data on this, that we are most attuned to eating in the first half of the day. We are insulin sensitive. Our food is going to turn into sugar and then rapidly enter cells because insulin is working best in the first half of the day. So if we took women with PCOS, we had them eat most of their food in the first half of the day, and then we incorporated either intermittent fasting where you fast for 24 hours or we do periodic fasting where you fast for three, four days with water or we do the fasting mimicking diet, which is what I use in my practice because it's more user-friendly when you get to eat and you still get the benefits of fasting. But if I do fasting mimicking diet for five days and we do this on a regular basis, that we will lower IGF-1 because we have data that fasting lowers IGF-1. We know that IGF-1 triggers the production of testosterone. We will lower naturally these high levels of testosterone in the bodies of women with PCOS without having to use potentially toxic drugs like spironolactone. We have the knowledge. We have the science. Why don't we just use it to help women without incorporating a drug that is a known teratogen, a drug that we know can cause massive birth defects, which you know is just, I think, a red flag that this drug is a problem to use in young women. So we have the tools, we have the knowledge, 
time-restricted eating and fasting and gut healing with lots of fiber, healthy fats, that we can resolve this testosterone issue in the vast majority of women. And it's inexpensive in theory. What about women who have cortisol issues? Would you change those recommendations at all? Because like if someone's been stressed for a long time and have reached burnout and they're just really struggling, sometimes intermittent fasting is not the best for those people. Although it's good for many people, it may not be the best for those people. Would you edit those recommendations for these people that have this history of stress that's brought them to burnout stage? Well, what I can say, absolutely. In my practice, I don't actually start with fasting. That's like stage two. Mm -hmm. I always start with what I call refeeding. Now, the vast majority of people, even people, and especially people who are obese, are malnourished. And of course, that's a huge stress on the body when you don't have all the nutrients you need to run the machinery of your cells. So I work on appropriately feeding. And I don't usually call it a detox because people think that, you know, you can do this and then you detox all the toxins out of your body. I wish we could do that. But what we do is we upregulate the functionality of like the liver and so on, which is the key detoxification organ. But what I do is I call it a reset, an inflammatory reset. Where we're really doing an anti-inflammatory lifestyle, an anti-inflammatory diet, and really detoxing off of processed food and, and sugars and that type of thing. We want to eat real food, like the theory of farm to table, which shouldn't be like a theory. It's like fact. You eat food that's from the earth, the real food. And so we take people who are stressed, who have you know terribly abnormal cortisol production, like high cortisol production, and we give them the proper foods and then I do a lot of mind-body medicine in my practice. We do guided imagery. We do essential oils. I have massage therapy, myofascial release, craniosacral massage. I have, I'm have i bringing in acupuncture. I have a hypnotherapist I work with. So I use a lot of mind-body medicine in conjunction with proper nutrition because a lot of people who are very stressed, we know that there's a whole new world that's called nutritional psychiatry, right? That if you don't have the right nutrients in your brain, your brain is going to feel very anxious and stressed. Like magnesium deficiency is an epidemic. And I gave a lecture recently on just magnesium. And now it's like, because I had to do a deep dive in magnesium. I was always a fan of magnesium. Now I'm an ultra fan of magnesium mm -hmm. because you can't function properly if you don't have enough magnesium. Magnesium is key to the production of serotonin and the receptor function of dopamine. So just getting nutrients into my patients is going to lower their stress and then doing all the mind-body medicine and then having them eat on a regular schedule. So they're not eating late at night when their bodies are not designed for it. And now we have this whole new world, which we can talk about maybe another day in more detail, called the endocannabinoid system. It's a whole new understanding of humans that are equipped with these lipids, which are fats, signaling agents. And we now know that when you live like a life of jet lag, and a lot of people live social jet lag, like they stay up late at night for whatever reason, work, or they're watching television or movie, or on the weekends, they're up all night. And we call that social jet lag. And when that happens, their endocannabinoid system is way off, and they make too much of the endocannabinoid anandamide in the middle of the night. And they've shown this with women with PCOS, because this also goes along with circadian rhythm, of course, because the social jet lag and the unintentioned jet lag and the hormonal jet lag, all of these things cause 
eating disorders where we have the, the late night munchies. So by working with time-restricted eating and stress reduction, I can help people to improve their whole endocannabinoid system as well. And then, and only then, do I bring in fasting. I wait until I get people much more, we'll say, normalized and feeling better and nutritionally replete before I start doing fasting. And by the way, women who are actively trying to get pregnant like that month, I would not incorporate fasting. And by the way, for also for women who have regular cycles, we would like to do fasting in the luteal phase. So after they ovulate, not before, because it may impact on their hormonal production for ovulation. So it's not something that you should just do without knowing what you're doing. So I'm glad that you brought that up. But time-restricted eating except for people who are diabetics on insulin. That's another world altogether. But for other people, time-restricted eating, where you eat most of your food in the morning, which so many people are advocating against, it drives me crazy, you know? You're not supposed to fast through the morning. You're supposed to fast through the night, okay? And a time-restricted eating we can implement on people immediately. By the way, I also tell people if they feel famished, if they feel they have to snack because their bodies are not good at burning fat, so they get hypoglycemic, eat some fat. The best fats to eat would be a handful of olives or a few macadamia nuts or a few slivers of avocado, or those would be wonderful as an emergency backup snack if you really feel you have to have a snack. Or I also utilize what's called the fast bar, which is made by the company that makes the fasting mimicking diet. So it has mostly like nuts and it keeps your insulin level and your sugar level is pretty stable. That's what you want. If you want to have a snack, it has to be something that's predominantly fat so it doesn't raise your blood sugar and your insulin. Mm -hmm. I appreciate all the context you gave for that. We've interviewed someone from the company with Fasting Mimicking Diet, and then I also talked about my own experience with it about a year ago at this time. So I appreciate you just giving all that context. So we didn't give estrogen as much lip service as I probably should have today. No, no, that's my fault. I was over here talking about PCOS. Let's let's go ahead and talk about estrogen for a couple minutes and talk about its protective role, because so often it gets this bad rap with acne and painful periods, etc. But really, the big picture with estrogen is that it has a protective role. It reduces abdominal fat and improves insulin resistance. Tell us about why estrogen is at the top of your hormone pyramid. Yeah. Well, estrogen has receptors in really every cell in the body. And it's really the link between reproductive function and metabolic function. Once you make the leap and you understand that the prime directive of life is reproduction and that you realize that humans are the only species on the planet ever in the history of the world that tries to control its reproductive destiny. So all life forms have evolved for the purpose of creating new life forms. And that, that doesn't mean that we as humans should just make as many babies as possible. I'm totally in the favor of trying to have our children when we want them and having wanted children and, and so forth. But recognizing that the prime directive of the female body is reproduction and that estrogen is what links reproduction and metabolic health. Because after all, nature didn't want an unhealthy woman to get pregnant because what use would that be if she doesn't have the right nutrient status, if she is not well then it would not make sense for her to be pregnant because she would probably die and the baby would die. As well, 
the body needs to coordinate all of the functions. So when a woman is pregnant, that's a very complicated state of being. She needs to have a functioning heart. Her brain needs to be working properly. Her immune system is being altered. There's so many things that are happening in a woman who is pregnant. And estrogen actually helps to oversee all of these things to create a healthy baby and a healthy mom. And so estrogen is really the dominant hormone that oversees all of the enzyme systems. Once you understand that like all the enzyme systems of the body are actually estrogen modulated and all of the hormones have a relationship to estrogen. And it's just the most fascinating thing. The brain loves estradiol. So when you have a brain injury, if you have a traumatic brain injury, there are actually cells in the brain like the astrocytes, which are part of the immune system. And the neurons themselves, they make estrogen because estrogen is about modulating inflammation and about healing. So estrogen, poor thing, got the bad rap because, you know, when cancer occurs, different types of estrogen-related cancers Estrogen is not the cause of the cancer. Estrogen is doing what it was designed to do, which is to heal and to grow and to create new tissue. So if you have a wound on your arm, if you have a big laceration, estrogen is what promotes the platelets to release their healing factors, the growth factors, and create new blood vessels, new tissue. That's why elderly people, they don't heal as well and rapidly. And people, by the way, who are stressed don't heal as well either. But estrogen is really the control of the platelets and all the growth factors. But when you have cancer, poor estrogen doesn't know it's cancer because cancer is also a modern disease. And so it's trying to nurture the cancer because it doesn't recognize it as cancer. So it puts out its growth factors, creating new blood vessels and so on. But it's poor estrogen being sort of hijacked. So it's not the cause, but it's really promoting what it's supposed to do, which is healing and growth. But if we can keep inflammation under control from the get-go, then, of course, it lowers our chance of getting cancer. We now recognize that everything stems from auto-inflammation, this inflammatory state that can go down different pathways to create allergies, autoimmune diseases, dementia, cardiovascular disease, and cancer. And estrogen actually, when you have enough estrogen, the right kind of estrogen, it actually modulates that whole inflammatory response. There are estrogen receptors on every immune cell of the body, the lymphocytes, the macrophages, the neutrophils, the mast cells, every cell in the body. And then you just come away with like awe for estrogen, for what it does to keep everything in the body working as a beautiful unified whole. And then when you throw in, that's why the whole world of environmental medicine is so critical for everyone to be aware of, that we live in a world of endocrine disruptors. Many of them are what we call xenoestrogens, the chemicals that interfere with the production, distribution, receptor function, elimination of estrogen. And unfortunately, a lot of people use the word estrogen dominance when they're really talking about a body filled with endocrine disruptors. So I just like to make proper definitions. So real estrogen made by the ovaries is what keeps a woman's body healthy in every aspect. And that's why fertility is a vital sign of female well-being. So when a woman has menstrual dysfunction, when she has really painful periods, irregular periods, very heavy periods, that's a sign that she has metabolic dysfunction. She may have nutrient deficiencies. She may have endo, she may have high levels of toxins in her body. She may have high levels of stress. There's something going on 
The solution is to find out what's going on with her and recognize the menstrual cycle as being a vital sign of female health. So if a menstrual cycle is off, the solution isn't to get rid of the menstrual cycle. It's to help the woman to achieve health. And that's really the word that I like to spread, that estrogen is really key to a healthy woman at every stage of life. And that's why after menopause, women are faced with a lot of metabolic challenges. And so we have to work together for that. For women with PCOS, even at very young age, they are faced with a lot of metabolic challenges because of estrogen deficiency. And every human being on this planet is faced with metabolic challenges because of the pervasive endocrine disruptors, which interfere with estrogen functioning in the body, and of course, the processed foods and the circadian rhythm issues. So every one of us has a challenge. And I think just understanding that estrogen is really the dominant hormone for women in maintaining metabolic health, which relates to fertility, and it's all about having a healthy one body, then estrogen will stop being maligned. I won't have to travel the world defending <laughs> its, its integrity. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a warm, cuddly hormone now that you've talked about it. I think whenever we put hormone dysfunction and imbalances at the top of the topic list, you can go down a million rabbit holes. I think we could have talked about this a lot longer. But We've really summarized so much about testosterone, the Olympian, estrogen, the superhero, intermittent fasting, and overall hormone dysfunction and metabolic dysfunction. Dr. Felice, where can people find you online? Well, if they want to find me in person, I am one of those old-fashioned doctors. I still have a brick-and-mortar practice where I see patients every day. It's the Integrative Medical Group of Irvine in Irvine, California. That's in Orange County, California. And my website is integrativemgi.com. And I'd love for people to follow my adventures and my postings on Instagram, which is dr. Period Felice Gersh. So it's Dr. Period Felice Gersh on Instagram. And don't forget to get some sunlight in the morning. Absolutely. And I'm in sunny Southern California. I'm looking outside my window and I think I'm going to go have some tea outside in the sun. Oh, that sounds lovely. I'm looking at snowdrifts, but it's still bright and sunny. So <laughs> thank you so much for coming on today. I look forward to having you back again. My pleasure. Have a wonderful day. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 